0: Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Josh Smith, discussing foundations for godly manhood, which are found in the New Testament book of Titus. But I just want to say, don't be afraid of this, because the truth is, if you're a
1: godly man, what that means is, you're serving, you're sweating, you're giving yourself for the good of others. Uh, This is not uh, authoritarian, This this is not oppressive. Um, I talk about this is, is walking in who God's called you to be in such a way that the people around you and under you are thriving. Josh
0: Smith, next. The book of Titus was an answer to Pastor Josh Smith's prayer that God would help him know how to raise up men to lead from within his church. What followed was the book, The Titus 10. Josh Smith pastors Prince Avenue Baptist Church in Athens, Georgia. Pastor Smith, tell us about the foundations for the book. So uh, as a young pastor about 15
1: years ago, I was trying to figure out just how to invest in men in our church, how to raise up leaders, godly leaders. Uh, I had kind of had some charter members in that first church, some men that were just really faithful. I was looking behind them and wondering where the next generation of men were that were going to help lead our church. And so I just decided, I don't know exactly how to start taking a group of men through the book of Titus, just verse by verse, walking them through the book of Titus. And as I did that, year after year, I started to see emerging from the, the context, the book itself, the writing of Titus, 10 Foundations for Manhood. So I started 15 years ago teaching these. And just over the years, it has uh, continued to get clarified in my mind, and the Lord seems to have blessed it. And just last year, I uh, ended up putting it in print. So I'm
0: really thankful for that. Mm. And maybe this question is obvious, but uh, by writing a book like this, are, are you saying there's a particular need for godly manhood? Sure. I
1: mean, I would say, as a local church pastor, so I'm writing as a local church pastor, I'm in desperate need of, of men, faithful men. Uh, the whole, you know, it's interesting. There's only 46 verses in Titus, and it takes some digging to figure out the context, in a sense. But uh, the problem was there was this small church in Crete being ravaged uh, by ungodly men that were teaching false doctrine, that were disrupting entire families. And so what you see in the context of Titus is a church was being destroyed by ungodly men. Mm. And then Paul's solution to that was get faithful men in the church. So you can see how a church, and this is true of a community, a culture, certainly of a family, can be either destroyed or deeply blessed by the presence of godly men. And let me just say this. I have four daughters. I have one son, but a wife and four daughters. I completely uh, affirm the need for godly women also, but I'm writing to men and we're talking about men. So uh, men can have a dramatic effect, positively or negative, on church and culture and, and communities. And right now, we are desperately in the need for faithful, good,
0: servant-hearted, sacrificial, loving men. In the book uh, of Titus, it wasn't written specifically as a manual for, for manhood, though.
1: It was not. It was written to um, one of Paul's most important co-laborers, Titus, really a little bit different than Timothy, in that Timothy felt more like a child in the faith, where Titus feels more like a co-worker. Um, Digging deep, I do this in the book, but trying to figure out how Paul and Titus knew each other and their relationship, and there's some instances where Paul sent Titus on some of his most difficult assignments, Hmm. delivering the most difficult letter to the church in Corinth, uh, helping him collect an offering for the suffering church in Jerusalem, like some really tough situations. And this church in Crete was a very difficult situation. So he drops Titus off there, uh, one of his most faithful co-workers. And so what you have is one really godly man writing to another godly man, writing to a church filled with bad men, and telling him to cultivate good men in their place. So because of that, it does seem distinctively, uh, like a very helpful letter for men. Now, of course, a lot of women have Titus two ministries, uh, because Titus two has a lot to say about young women and older women in relationship together. Not a book exclusively for men, but a lot to say, uh, for men.
0: Well, we're talking about the Titus 10, Foundations for Godly Manhood. My guest is the author, Pastor Josh Smith uh, of Prince Avenue Baptist Church in Athens, Georgia. Just kind of giving a little bit of foundation for the book of Titus. Paul wrote it to Titus, who was the leader of a church. What were some of the main points or the main themes, the main reasons that that Paul wrote this letter to Titus?
1: So it seems like, as best as we can tell, there was some Cretans we know from Acts 2, at Pentecost. And so what seems like it's, is there's some people who heard the gospel, they went back to Crete, they started a church, but they were Judaizers, meaning, you know, you know what we talk about often in the new Testament, they understood the gospel a little bit, but they were adding all the old Testament regulations. So Paul had stopped there as a prisoner, uh, on his way to Rome, stopped in Crete, found out about this little church and just realized it was a mess. It was a real problem. He left Titus there, And Paul then continued on his journey and then wrote uh, Titus this letter and said, uh, Titus, the first thing I want you to do is, uh," he says, the first thing to do is put the church in order in verse five and says, find godly men. Then he gives these qualities of a godly man. And then he says, there's these men disrupting families, teaching for shameful gain, what they ought not to teach. They must be silenced. And so it's interesting, and I think this book of Titus has a lot to say for our culture today. Um, It was a lot of first-generation believers, all first-generation believers. They didn't come from a home where they learned how to be godly men and godly women. They weren't learning the basics, which I think our church is filled with more and more people like this. They didn't learn how to be godly men and women at home. Well, the question is, where are they going to learn it? And the answer is the church has to pick up that slack. The church has to step in and say, we're going to raise godly men and godly women because they're not learning it at home. Uh, and I think you got a lot of that feel in the book of Titus. Um, how to be how to be godly in the church, in the workplace, in the home uh, are kind of the three main
0: categories uh, for Titus. Mm. And of course, then that goes right to the foundations of godly manhood.
1: That's right, exactly right, exactly right. So you know, you have these. Um, qualifications for an elder in chapter one. Uh, But there was an old book, The Measure of a Man by Gene Getz, written years ago. Fantastic, classic book. Uh, One of the things he says in that book, he says, these aren't just qualifications for an elder. This is a prototype for every godly man. Every man should aspire to be the kind of man that could be an elder, maybe not able to teach, but certainly a man of good, strong moral character, Mm -hmm. knowledge and doctrine, and so I look at those qualities and say, man, there's, there's something there for us on how to raise up men. And, you know, I talk about some things in this book that aren't typical for books on manhood. I have a chapter on doctrine. And, uh, you know, I joke that I, I feel like when I get to that chapter, everybody was going to skip it. every man. But as, you know, as a pastor, I want a church filled with men who know the word of God. Uh, If you're going to even just lead your family well, know the Word of God. And uh, so I'm challenging men not just be manly men, you know, Mm -hmm. but to be thoughtful, faithful, sound, self-controlled, solid men is what I'm looking for.
0: Well, it's interesting. You said that understanding the Bible, understanding biblical doctrine is not something that you would typically find in, in a Christian book on manhood, and it, and it would seem like having a, having a knowledge of the scriptures would be pretty foundational. Why would you not typically find that?
1: You know, I, I think there's a, I've got a lot, I'm looking at my books across my shelf here, I've got two full shelves of books for men. Mm. It seems on one hand, a lot of them tend to be just, we need to be more manly and outdoorsy, something like that. Mm-hmm. And then uh, kind of on the other hand, they would seem to be more really deeply biblical manhood, womanhood, doctrinal theological books, and not much in the middle. So I'm writing to a general audience. I mean, my book is is meant to be read by a normal guy in the church. Yet I want to take some of these issues like, what does it mean by taking dominion in the Old Testament? Uh, what does it mean by being a man of solid doctrine? What does it mean to live and walk in our God-given authority that we have? So I'm taking some rather complicated issues and trying to make them really easy to understand, but I'm amazed at how many books for men don't challenge men to really know the word of God. There is no greater gift to me as a local pastor than some guy joining my church. And I realize he knows the Bible. This is the greatest <laughs> gift. He knows the Bible. He can teach, but even forget about that. Like even if you didn't ever aspire to teach in a class at mm-hmm. church, if you've got kids, if you've got a wife, if you're just, just any man, you need to know the word of God. This should be a big pursuit in your life. And I'm finding that a lot of men are not pursuing uh,
0: their their mind to have a mind that's formed by the truth. Well, the Titus 10 foundations for godly manhood: their dominion, gospel, identity, assignment, authority, character doctrine, as you've mentioned to some extent there, mission, zeal, investments, and also uh, sort of a bonus at the end. And we may not have time to go through everyone, but let's see if we can at least touch on a few of these and drill down a little bit. For instance, the first one, you mentioned it just in passing a moment ago, Dominion. Can you tell yeah. us about what that is and how it relates to godly manhood? Sure.
1: Yeah, I'd love to, Bill. So, I mean, again, I'm noticing how many things are skipped by books on manhood. So I want to start in Genesis 1 and 2, and I want to look at God's original design for a man, Uh, Adam and Eve together taking dominion. Uh, I use language that's certainly not new to me. This idea of dominion is working and keeping. So when it means to take dominion, what it means is that you are sacrificially working for the good of everyone else around you. That's really what a man does. A man sacrifices himself for the good of everyone around him. He's working hard. I tell guys, uh, go to work, work hard. Go home, work hard, and go to bed tired. <laughs> and then uh, pr- this idea of keeping, working, and keeping. So we're protectors. God's called us to protect. And then I transition from that, uh, from that to the idea of the gospel. That's my second foundation, because God's design for manhood was shattered by sin. So what we've got to figure out is how can we rebuild that? Like how can we take our shattered manhood? Um, broken by sin and culture and start to rebuild it. And the answer is we start to rebuild it by by looking at Jesus Christ. Jesus is the second Adam. He, he's the He's the one that couldn't do what the first Adam did. So he is our model for manhood, sacrificing for the good of others, loving, caring. Um and so we kind of progress through that from dominion and gospel. That's why those two chapters are really central. Manhood as it was meant to be broken because of sin, and now put back together by the gospel of Jesus Christ.
0: And as you explain uh, throughout the book, this is a journey. It takes effort. Uh, we'll, we'll come to that a, a bit as well, And but it's in the context of community. You're saying this isn't just something that, that it's done in isolation sort of on your own.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. So uh, I would say most men, I would say, already feel defeated when it comes to this area. They feel like either they don't know what to do at home. You know, I've, I've noticed a trend. Men will go to work and work hard and go home and be passive. And I think a lot of it is because they just don't know what to do. They don't know how to be godly men at home. And so the result is they do nothing. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to call them out and encourage them in a, in a helpful way with a kind of an affirming tone to say, let's make some progress here. Let's just learn how to, how to be better at home, how to love our wives better, how to be more faithful worker at home. Uh, and so trying to just challenge men to, to make some steps in the right direction. You know, the tone of this book, I really wanted to be right. I didn't want to come down on men. I wanted to, to affirm, encourage, and say, hey, let's – we all feel like we don't know what we're doing, so let's make some progress here.
0: <laughs> well put. Well, that chapter on identity, uh, what does it take away for men there? What, what, what is yep. it meant by identity? So if
1: you're going, you know, who men was supposed to be, dominion, broken because of sin, put together by the gospel, the next thing we have to deal with is who am I as a man? I mean, even just manhood and womanhood, boy, we could do a separate interview on this, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, those are part of your core identity as a, as a human being, God made you either a male or a female, and you've got to understand what that means. And then your identity as a follower of Jesus Christ. So I'm trying to help men understand who they are. And I talk about, you need to understand yourself as a slave to Christ, as a, as a a child of God, a slave of God, a child of God, a friend of God, and really a lover of God. And I talk about those four aspects of our identity and how we need to know who we are and grow into our identity. And then I, you know, I move from identity to assignment. Assignment is not who you are, but what God's called you to be and what God's called you to do. Uh, I found a lot of men find their identity in their assignment. So God's called you to be a worker. Well, that becomes your identity. Well, then you lose your job and you don't know who you are anymore. So I'm trying to build a very solid identity and then. Honestly, I challenge men to think carefully what are your God-given assignments, wife, kid, relationship to your local church. And let's make sure your assignments are being given the priority they need to be given. So just trying to get men men to be thoughtful about the things God's called them to do,
0: and it seems just sort of parenthetically here, Pastor Smith, that um in this particular moment where we are uh, in the world, but certainly in our culture, that there is an element of confusion about what is a man, especially for a Christian man, a godly manhood versus maybe a cultural ideas of what manhood. And I think you talked a little bit about your, your own dad in there, uh, and you're know, you just pointing out that, well, maybe he didn't hunt or, or fix cars or shoot guns or whatever the case is, that typically we tend to think, well, that's masculine. And yet he was, he was a very godly, manly uh, man. Yeah.
1: yeah I, I talk about in the book, how I always viewed my dad as a manly man. And I, I wondered why, because he didn't, you know, he couldn't fix a transmission <laughs> <laughs> or check a transmission for that matter. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there was none of those things like, man, he didn't hunt. He never killed anything like that. Like, But I think it's because he had strong moral character mm. and he was a man of really strong convictions and resolve. I never questioned those things about him. And so trying to redefine manhood in that way. And, you know, there is a fear Writing a book for men right now is challenging in that there's a fear for a man to be manly and to, and to, be, to kind of step into what God's called him to be as a man. Um, certainly there is uh, abuse of authority by men. There's certainly the overshadowing of women through the year. I mean, there's so many things to deal with. But I just want to say, don't be afraid of this because the truth is if you're a godly man, what that means is you're serving, you're sweating you're giving yourself for the good of others. Uh, this is not uh, authoritarian, this is, this is not oppressive. Um, I talk about this is, is walking in who God's called you to be in such a way that the people around you and under you are thriving because you're loving them well. So I think when you understand manhood in that way, if Jesus is the model here who lays down his life and doesn't come to be served, but to serve and is always sacrificing for others, all of a sudden, the picture of
0: manhood looks a little better. And as we talk about these domains of the church, the home, and the workplace, you, you underscore for us, and it's so easy to, in a discussion like this, to forget about this, but we actually are involved in uh, the greatest struggle of all, and it's not, it doesn't deal with other people. It's not against flesh and blood. Can you talk about that a little bit, and uh, what is uh, godly, what does godly manhood have to say about that? What should we, what should we be doing? How should yeah. we respond?
1: Yeah. So I do talk about four domains of every man's life. Uh, He's got the domain of his local church, which is to be a priority in his life. He's got the domain of his family, his workplace, and then his domain of his own flesh. He's got to deal with the flesh. But then I do talk about the spiritual battle going on around us. I mean, the enemy wants to win my kids. I've got five kids. The enemy wants them and the enemy wants our culture and the enemy wants my church. I mean, when you think of the context of the book of Titus, there was ungodly men ravaging the church and destroying it. Well, that's demonic. I mean, that's just evil, right? And so every area of our life, whether it be my own personal life, my family life, my church, and my workplace are all under the attack of the enemy. And so my responsibility as a man is to stand against that for the sake of my family. I need to stand for my family. I need to stand for my church. I need to be a protector. Um, And, you know, you had asked me a minute ago about this idea of community, but It is impossible to do this alone. Uh, Every bit of this has to be done in the context of a group of men who are seeing the need and stepping into it. But I feel like, you know, I say there's the two greatest enemies to manhood are isolation and passivity. If I can get a man alone, isolated, a man who isolates himself, Proverbs 18 says, seeks his own desire and goes against all sound wisdom. It is dangerous to be isolated and not in community and passivity. Men are just not doing anything. They're they're standing around idly while their children are being attacked by the enemy. They're watching as their church and their community are being attacked, and they're not doing anything. And so we need men who will stand, uh, who will stand against the enemy, stand for what is right.
0: What does that look like? I mean, practically speaking, standing against the enemy?
1: Yeah, No, I think a part of it is, I mean, for my kids, um, I've got to walk in the authority God's given me to say, they're not in charge of their phone, I'm in charge of their phone. (laughs) Uh, They're not in charge of all of their time, I'm in charge of their time. Like, not in a negative way, but like, I think we're, you know I I get this picture that most parents are so overwhelmed by what to do, Mm -hmm. they just stick their head in their sand and act like nothing's going on, but something's going on. So for me to step into those issues, uh, with what my children are looking at on the phone. I mean, that's just a great example of, and that's my responsibility. I've got to step into that a little bit. I can't act like nothing's going on. Uh, I had a conversation this week uh, with a family whose seventh grade uh, son is addicted to pornography. Well, my goodness, that's that's where a dad is not protecting in the way he should. And I think even in the church, you know, dealing with conflict, not just letting things pass by, mm-hmm. uh, having difficult conversations, just not being afraid to do the hard things and have the hard conversations.
0: And I would think, too, um, this is certainly can be part of a, of a woman's life, a Christian woman's life, too, but, but with men tend to be wanting to do things and actively do things. But can you talk about the role of prayer, which can seem like you're not doing anything?
1: Yeah. So certainly, I I think I give a story in the book where I'm in the middle of the night, one night, my daughter calls, she's at camp, she's having some terrified nightmare. She's really, really scared. I'm 300 miles away. And what do I do? Well, it's clearly demonic in the sense of it's just from the enemy. It's not from the Lord. That's Mm -hmm. what I mean by that. Um, So what do I do? Well, I can't go drive and pick her up. Uh, And so I just pray. I mean, that's part of that's part of my working and keeping. That's part of my protecting. Um, I got to stand on behalf of her against the enemy and just pray. I got to bring that to the Lord. And so I think a lot of times we feel like prayer is doing nothing when reality is in the spiritual battle, prayer is is doing the most. And um, so let's really
0: step in as men and let's pray and let's have hard conversations that lead our family well. Well, the book is The Titus 10 Foundations for Godly Manhood. My guest is the author, Pastor Josh Smith, Senior Pastor of Prince Avenue Baptist Church in Athens, Georgia. And a, a, th- a key thread, obviously, uh, for godly manhood is following Jesus, w- uh, being a disciple, and that's really what you've been talking about today from uh, since the beginning. What does that look like, being a disciple of Jesus? Sure. One
1: of the things I noticed uh, a few years ago studying the Gospel of Mark, and you see this in all the Gospels, there's a lot of emphasis on the crowd. The crowd would hear Jesus, the crowd wanting something for Jesus, but then from without the crowd would come disciples. Uh, Not all of the crowd was disciples. Matter of fact, Jesus would say hard things and the crowd would leave him. Uh, And a lot of them were just fascinated with what he was doing. It's a really good picture to me of what I see when I get up and preach on a Sunday morning, I see hundreds and hundreds of men that many of them are in the crowd. So my goal is to try to get them out of the crowd, to become disciples and to make some, some progress in their following Jesus Christ. So that's, that's what I mean by, by that idea of making disciples. Let's get, let's move men. I, I'm uh, just now about to do the Titus 10 Bible study. It's going to be available for local churches with video curriculum uh, in the spring of, of 24 that's coming. And I, they just said, well, what, how can we promote this? And I said, well, let's use the idea of moving men Uh, let's move men. They're just coming to church. They're sitting there. Let's move. And what I want to do is I want to move them towards Jesus. I want to move them towards following Christ and making some progress. So let's call men out of the crowd and into discipleship.
0: And and talk about, uh, time's going very quickly here, uh, Pastor Smith, but the, the issue of character, what that means, how it's developed.
1: We touched on it just a moment ago, the idea of that, what is manhood? Is it the things you do? Is it the manly abilities? And manhood's really character. Uh, this is what we get uh, from Titus chapter one. Uh, it's being self-controlled, uh, which is the primary character quality. It's being blameless. And so I walk through a whole chapter on character, just saying, let's be men of deep character. And you have to take the long approach there. You don't just develop that quickly. But let's decide that we're going to be men of
0: character. That's the foundation for manhood. And self-control. You just mentioned there. You have a, you have a, a section on it in in primary
1: theme in in Titus uh, over and over older men be self-controlled younger men it's interesting in chapter two there's all this instruction given to older men and young and younger women and older women it says tell the young men one thing be self-controlled uh and then it's in chapter one two and three this is a primary theme that if you can't learn how to control yourself first uh then it's going to be hard to make progress in any other area
0: how is that done uh, well, uh, <laughs> moment by
1: moment, step by step, um, I talk about even in little things, uh, I think immediately we think of sexual sin and those kind of things. But in your eating, in your exercising, in your attitudes, your anger, like you're just working on areas in which you need to be more self-controlled and you're not overwhelmed by it. You're just making progress. Uh, I want to get control of my money. I want to get control of my eating, my exercise, like self-control begets self-control. So I'm calling men to be self-controlled in every
0: area of their life. And and, uh, I'm kind of moving quickly here. And of course, people can read the book and fill in all of the blanks. But can you (laughs) touch on mission and zeal, how it's uh, attached to godly manhood and how those two kind of flow one from another?
1: Yeah, just very quickly, men were created for mission. God has put it in us. All of us were, but men were created for mission. In a lot of men's books, that feeling for mission has then just kind of been equated to, we need to all go camping. Mm. No, God's called you to be engaged in the mission of God. That's the grand mission. Your your desire for adventure is the desire to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Um, And then my favorite chapter in the book is probably the one on zeal. Really, Uh, You see zeal in the life of Jesus. Uh, Titus says he wants to create men who are zealous for good works. I say zeal is the combination of a mind filled with truth, a heart filled with passion, all of that leading uh, to faithful action. So uh, I love that chapter on zeal, one of my favorite things to talk about. And where does zeal come from? Yeah, well, it comes from the Holy Spirit primarily, but it, it does come from a mind that is learning the truth. So I've got to know what is right. Um, and zeal begins with knowledge, but then zeal takes over the heart. And you see it in Jesus overturning the tables in the temple. The zeal of the Lord consumed him. Well, he knew what was right. All of a sudden, he began to boil with passion, and then he acted on it. So
0: um, it's those three areas combined. And the final uh, chapter, investments, uh, some men looking at that will say, oh, great. He's going he's to tell me wh- how to invest my money, put my money in the right place. Uh, <laughs> uh, tell us about it. Uh, well, it's investing in other men.
1: So I wanted to end the book this way to say Titus is here because Paul, Paul invested in Titus. Paul learned that because Barnabas invested in him. Uh, Barnabas must have learned that from somehow in the ministry of Jesus and the apostles in the early church. But you've got Titus here, most likely a third to fourth generation person hmm. um, from the apostles to Barnabas to Paul to Titus. And so this is deeply ingrained in the DNA. So let's keep that up. Uh, Let's take what God has entrusted to us and give it to other men. And I end that way because I say, if you've read the Titus 10, go take three other guys through it. This book was created for a group of men to walk through it together. Discussion questions are there. That's why this book was written. So that's always my challenge. Find some guys, get the book, and just start walking through it a chapter at a time.
0: And I love uh, the, the, at, the, at the very, very end, you have kind of an afterthought or, a, I don't know, an epilogue or something called yeah. direction, which is very encouraging. If you could kind of summarize that for us. Every man, I mean,
1: is is consumed with distance. How far can I go? What can I accomplish? What I say is forget about that. If you take care of direction, God will take care of distance. So, when I teach men, I say, God, my des- guys, my desire for you is to get your head turning towards Jesus, your feet moving in the right direction, and you think about direction. I'm going to move towards Jesus and do the right thing. You'll be amazed at how far God will take you if you'll do that. So forget about distance. You take care of direction. God will take care of distance.
0: And, and really, that's a daily, if you will, a daily choice to walk that, in the right direction. That's it. I mean, and, and it gets overwhelming to think how far I need to
1: become as a Christian or a man. Well, don't worry about that. Like, I just want want to be the person God's called me today. I'm going to get up this morning. I'm going to do the right thing. Spend some time with the Lord. Be kind to my wife. uh, Love my children. Make sure that I'm spending time where I need to. I'm going to have a good day. Like, I'm going to walk with Jesus today. And uh, if I do that 100 days in a row, it's amazing what God can do.
0: Well, last words of encouragement, Pastor Smith? Yeah, just uh,
1: don't be be defeated and overwhelmed as a man. Uh, Be encouraged. God has something good for you. Find a group of men who will take the time uh, to go through a study like this together that want to be better and just make progress together. Just uh, don't be discouraged by your lack of
0: progress. Let's just make some spiritual progress moment by moment. You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, Pastor Josh Smith, pastor of Prince Avenue Baptist Church in Athens, Georgia, and author of the book, The Titus 10, Foundations for Godly Manhood. Coming up on tomorrow's program, it's Ryan Higginbottom on why studying the Bible is not like searching for a hidden code. God's Word is knowable. It is not secret or hidden. God is not trying to obscure it from us like like, uh, like codes are written to do. That's tomorrow at the same time right here on His People. Thanks for listening.